0: Start this out by asking you a question. Uh, You don't please. It's rhetorical, so don't shout it out. Uh, Who is the person who has most impacted your life uh, for the best? Okay, Jesus is good. Okay, besides Jesus, who is the person who has impacted your life for the best? And I mean, it's amazing how much someone can help you right in this life as you're going through and wandering into this or that, that uh, someone can come alongside of you and help you become a better person, whether that's a great parent, is maybe that's uh, a sibling, is it a coach, a teacher, a best friend that just walks with you over the years and uh, you come to love deeply. What I What I found strange thinking about this is, Maybe 99.99 repeated uh, percent of people will never know you ever existed. Like living today, currently, probably, unless you're Pastor Tom and you're out there doing Acts 29 real stuff, maybe you'll hear of him. But the rest of us lowly folk, uh, you'll never, never be known by the most people that ever, ever existed, 7 billion people. And then even a, a smaller percentage of that, maybe people have known you, they know your name, but you're that person over there that they knew in high school, never to be seen again. You're that person over there that they worked with when you were teenagers, never to be seen again. But then there's even a smaller percentage, maybe one or two to three people who you could say, those people loved me deeply. For me, uh, his name's Dan Chevers. Uh, When I was a sophomore in college, uh, 19 years old, just chasing after anything that caught my attention, whether it was pizza or video games, I don't know, whatever whatever it was. But this guy, Dan, uh, as I was in and out of Campus Crusade for Christ as a college student, he was a leader in that and he got a hold of my cell phone number. He texted me. said, hey, do you want to come over Friday or Saturday night and uh, play Madden? It was like, Madden 2011. It was just the best, you know. I was sure. I'm sure he ordered pizza because that's, you know, that's what I went to and got there about nine and we were there until three doing dumb Madden stuff. And then it was the next weekend and it was this or that weekend. And then it was five years later playing Madden and Madden was just the dumb thing that led to the important thing. You know, Dan knew that. He still knows that. We're still deep brothers in Christ, and we talk all the time, and uh, we pray for one another, and we talk about our lives. And uh, Yes, we still do the dumb Madden thing every once in a while. Uh, I'll say that's more on him than me, though. Uh, But we're blessed when there are those few who... Uh, Love you like Christ, right? They come alongside of you where you are, and they just love you, and they get to know you, and they continue to point you towards Jesus. And I think the passage today in John 13, in a way, shows us the importance of that, shows us who did it the best and uh, how we can continue to do that in our lives today. So if you'd pray with me, and then we'll dig in. Holy Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as a church, as a congregation, to worship you, to point our hearts and our minds back to you, to think on nothing but you, and then to come to this point as we read about Christ. And Jesus, the way you loved your disciples, the way you lowered yourself to the lowest points, to show us how we should love one another, Help us now, help me now as we dig through this and guide my words and guide my heart and this and keep the things that is not of you out of my mouth and let me just submit before you as we all do, before your word and before your name, Jesus. We all pray this in your son's name, amen. So if you'd read along with me in John 13, I'll read straight through one through verse 11 and we'll go through that. And Peter said back to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And there are just a few notes as we, uh, before we get into discipleship, if we're going to stay faithful to the text and understand what Jesus is doing here, well, that we should talk about first. Jesus, here with the disciples, come to the event, which is the Last Supper, where he uh, gives the ordinance or the sacrament of the Lord's table, that which we gather around each Sunday. And for some reason, the Apostle John decides not to not regurgitate what Matthew, Luke, and Mark went over, talking about the supper, but takes this moment to discuss how Jesus, after dinner, washed the disciples' feet. We've got to ask why. What was John doing, recording this? What is Jesus doing as he does this? And one theological point that is probably healthy to make is the reason why we don't do this all the time. And maybe you've heard of churches that do do that. On a Sunday morning, they bring up basins and they line up and they get together and they take off their shoes and they wash each other's feet. Maybe we can start to do that if you really want to. No? Okay. Okay. D.A. Carson uh, wrote that this a picture of what Jesus is doing here is showing the disciples what was about to happen spiritually on the cross. So here Jesus gets all these guys together after dinner, takes off his outer garment, puts a towel on, and he washes the dirtiest part of their body. They've already bathed, he said. Peter said, I've already been cleaned. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to clean your feet, which would be dirty from wherever you walked from, in your sandals, and the sand, and the desert, and the muck. I'm going to wash the dirty part of you physically. But what is to come, I will do on the cross, and I will wash the dirtiest part of you inwardly. This is a picture of what I will do, he's saying, for my disciples from here going forward on the cross, is Jesus by the pouring out of his blood on the cross, will wash you clean and reunite you in relationship to the Father through faith that that is achieved. And that's why we don't continue that. I think that's, and Dr. Carson makes this point and why we don't here at Springbrook, that that's the picture of what he's doing, that we can't do that for each other. We don't come up here and wash each other's feet because we're not the ones dying and bleeding for each other's sins, but that's what Jesus does. But as we'll look at later, we do follow and emulate his posture. Another note I'd like to, to, to show and explain, I think, is that Jesus takes the posture of a slave. In the Jewish life, you'd have to wash your feet. Of course, you come in and it's something they would do ceremonially or there's something they would do to be hospitable to the people who join in their houses But the reason Peter in this passage reacts so strongly, and there's lots of things you could talk about there. The reason Peter reacts so strongly is that Jews would not even allow Jewish slaves to wash their feet. It was something that was so low, so beneath them, so dirty and gross and grimy that they would have the Gentiles do that. They would find a Gentile slave or child or someone of the outer class outside of The Jewish people to wash their feet. But then Jesus does it. Jesus comes to them. And so I just want to ask who is Jesus? We've all heard the great stories, but this is the same Jesus who the entire universe was created through. The material for your chairs that you sit on, the oceans and the planets. And the dark matter of space that we expand into, even though we don't understand it, and the beautiful trees and animals and Adam and Eve, all these things that were created through. Jesus is the Word of which we read and believe. He's the one who is fully human and fully God and died on the cross for all of our sins. And yet, He takes a posture of a Gentile slave to His disciples. Yet this is Jesus showing the length that he'll go for his disciples. In verse 1, he said, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. Kind of a final thought as we read further on in 12 through 15, we talk about this argument that he's making in the way that we will then emulate. In verse 12, he says, When he had washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master a messenger, greater than the one who sent him. Jesus makes this argument, which we, in logic, it would be called the argument from greater to lesser. If the greatest of you would do such a thing, then the least of you should emulate that. If the king of kings does something, then the least of you should emulate that. And that's where Dr. Carson is pulling this. When he says, I'm Lord and teacher, doing this that you should be doing also, he writes that uh, the humility of Christ is a pattern for his disciples, instead of aspiring to dominate, dominate they must be eager to serve. That wasn't Dr. Carson, in case anybody checks. That was just a different note. Don't come to me and say, that wasn't Dr. Carson. I know. But it's not the act of what he did, because he's showing a picture of something only he could do, but it's the posture of which he did it that we emulate. And we get that from one of the ways that we read a historical narrative like this The way that they would write that in their time is to do what the good person in the story did, to emulate what they did. And of course, the good person here is Jesus. What is that thing that he does? Well, he loves his disciples. He's gentle with his disciples. He takes the position of a servant to his disciples. And that's why I I brought my friend Dan Chevers up in the beginning Is Dan has served me and loved me in ways that uh, at 19, a young guy just bouncing all over the place, wild and crazy, that he was able to bring in and just love and serve in the ways that that 19 year old kid needed. It's the humility of Christ that's a pattern for his disciples. I love that quote Instead of of aspiring to dominate, they must be eager to serve because it's a great joy and benefit to be discipled by someone. And it helps us grow in maturity in ways that we can't do it for ourselves, and equally so for those who are doing the discipling and searching for someone else to disciple them. And so we follow Jesus' lead in that by making disciples. Because you say, well, okay, Jesus did this. John 13, check. He washed the, the, the disciples' uh, feet He became a servant for his disciples' check. But what does it have to do with us? Well, we've we've been called to make disciples. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Christians are disciple-makers. We are called and commanded to be disciple-makers. And as we talk about that, what, maybe we should define what discipling is. Another uh, great author, his name's Mark Dever, nine marks, ministry and a church planter, revitalizer in D.C., he, wrote, he gave two definitions. The simplest one is helping people love Jesus. Helping people love Jesus. That's it. It's all we're called to do. It's what we have on the door and the sign and on the website, helping people love Jesus. It's a pillar of this church. But Mark Dever also gives the how we are to do that. How are you going to help someone love Jesus as Jesus did here in this text? And Dever says this, discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. So the question I pose to you is: This are you actively discipling someone? Are you purposely helping someone love Jesus better than they did yesterday? I think it's convicting to me to think about that. Who who am I looking for and actively? trying to meet up with and like my buddy Dan did to me reaching out to and making connections with so we can spend time and reach their heart in a way that they'll listen to us so that we can show them the better ways of Christ there's a a Tim Keller quote it was more so about worship just another guy but he used this quote of another guy then he used it so I can use it now And it's about worship. He says, everybody worships. You don't get to decide to worship. Everybody worships something. The only choice you get is is what to worship. And in, in the context of that, he's talking about atheists versus believers, where someone would say, well, no, I don't worship anything. You worship something. No, you worship something. You worship money, your job, sports, Aaron Rodgers. I'm being contextual with that one. See that? money or fame, you worship something. It just depends what is the object of that worship. And I think that I could take that quote and just add discipling or discipleship to it to help, help us understand what we're doing with our lives. So this is my own quote, so I feel special. Everybody Disciples everybody disciples you don't get to decide to disciple everyone disciples someone the only choice you get is to what you disciple someone unto so you might not say i'm not a pastor not a ministry leader i'm not even an employer i don't have anybody under me officially so i can't i'm not discipling anybody but the truth is you, you are you're always discipling someone unto something maybe it's passively You're at work and someone watches you at work, and we talk about this in the men's Bible study all the time. Someone sees you doing something. Someone listens to you speak in that Bible study. Maybe you're parents of children's, uh, uh, parents of kids, and then you go to a kid's sport and you interact with their parents or their kids. Maybe you're a regular at a restaurant and people get to see the way you act and interact with the servers. But my question more so is, who are you actively discipling? Have you found someone that God has connected to you somehow and reached out like Jesus did to his disciples when he called them? It's very simple of what we should be doing with someone. And maybe that's the hang-up that you have. Well I don't, I don't have everything memorized, and, you know, I, so I, sh- I shouldn't be meeting with people. Uh, I shouldn't be going out on a limb there because I' you know, I'm just really not careful uh, comfortable. I haven't gone to Bible college or a- I- I've just taken Pastor Tom's class on Thursday nights. I'm not ready. And I understand that feeling, but I think it's more simple than that. And Paul and uh, in Titus chapter two. As the men discussed this a few weeks ago in the Bible study, Paul wrote this to a young man named Titus 2, 1 through 13. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled and pure and working at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self controlled, to show yourself in all respects, to be a, a model of good works and in teaching, uh, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be op- openly condemned, and so that an op- opponent. Maybe puts put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. It's just as simple as that. Older women to younger women, or old, older men to younger men, or, or that more spiritually mature than the less spiritually mature. mature. Maybe there's a hang-up in your life where you say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age, and you just told me that someone older should be teaching me something, and you know, maybe that's not always possible to find. And I don't think that's actually in the context of what's happening here. And we should be careful not to stick that upon our own hearts. Because what's happening, an older man, Paul, is telling a young man, Titus, to go tell the older men how to be more sanctified and Christ-like. That oftentimes a younger man can help an older man, or a younger woman who's spiritually mature can help an older woman who's less spiritually mature. I know this church is not about being legalistic and I don't want someone or something or yourself to press that upon your own mind. That, that's the only way to do it. Just a caveat, a side note. But if that's all you get from that Titus section, that's, that's all I hope you get. But I, I say all of that just because we get hung up on the hows or the whats. How do I do it? What do I say? Maybe I won't know when they bring up that their marriage is on the rocks, what to do or what to say. But you don't need to be Jesus to be a a disciple or to disciple others. You need to point people to Jesus. You're helping people love Jesus better, and Jesus will help them with their marriage. Jesus will help them with the drinking problem. Jesus will help them with their friends. They'll help them at work. It's not you, it's Jesus. All it takes is to say, hey, you want to come over and play Madden? Hey, do you want to get a cup of coffee and go to the Green Hen? Selfish plug. Get some, get a good sugar-free caramel latte, and uh, just talk. I want to see how you're doing. How's how's your relationship with Christ? If you're a dude and it's uncomfortable to sit face to face, you know where your knees are pointed at each other, and it just weirds you out. And you gotta you gotta look away as you talk, you know, to have a real conversation. You can go on a walk take someone fishing, get out where it's quiet and you can talk to them and love them well. You don't have to be a pastor or a professional. Jesus just taught a bunch of young guys in John 13 how to disciple and to love people and to point them to Christ. And just a, a kind of a final note on discipling. If you are a parent with children, you're still discipling. If they're 60, you're still discipling. But specifically, if you have children in your home, zero to 18, or as the world goes, uh, 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, guess who's their main discipler? It's not the pastors. It's not the church. It's you. You have the distinct blessing as a parent in a home with children to be the main disciplers. uh, In Christianese, they call it family worship. Family worship, because either you're actively or you're passively discipling them onto something. Like I, and I know this goes for anybody. Have you ever uh, had this happen in your life where uh, you're growing up and your parents do something? Dad or mom says something in a certain way and you go, I will never say that. And then you say it and you're like, no. I promised myself, my dad would always say, help me help you. And I'm like, I will never say that. And then I said it to Peter. I'm like, oh, darn it. <laughs> and now I know why Lily says darn it. <laughs> We're all discipling someone. We're all discipling our children in this way. And I mean, in Proverbs 26, if you need passages, Proverbs 20, 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Deuteronomy 11:19. You shall teach my words to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And I think that the best way for that to happen in our modern context is a regular family worship. And I'm just going to say regular. I'm not going to say daily. I'm not going to say every three days. I'm just I'm going to let you and Christ figure that out. And whether it's something as simple as playing a song on uh, your phone from YouTube and singing to it and just reading a passage, checking in with their lives, and praying. I had a professor who said that uh, every night after dinner, before anybody was dismissed, he'd open the Bible, because they all had to stay, because they were in the South, so that's how it worked. They opened the Bible, they read a passage, they talked about it, and they prayed, and then they just went on for the rest of the evening. It was a regular rhythm that they built into their family, and he even confessed they didn't do it every night, and he's a professor at a seminary. I just want to put that before you. Maybe you've never heard about it, or you've not thought deeply about it, but it's something that we are blessed to be able to do for our children in the short time that we have with them, the way it's fleeting. But let me, so I'm just going to wrap up. Back in John 13, if I say anything about discipling others, just let me say this, that we're, we're imitating someone. So back in John 13, verse 31, I think I told Dwayne about it. Yes. When he had gone out, Jesus said, this is in the same evening. They've moved on through the evening. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said, to the Jews, so now now I will also say to you, where I I am going, you cannot come. Here's the, the part I really wanted to communicate. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's all. That's all we're doing when we get together with someone, when we're discipling someone, when we're discipling our children. We're loving one another. We're loving one another because he first loved us. We're loving one another because he commands us to do it, and we're loving one another because it's a blessing to our lives and to those that we work with and we disciple. And I felt compelled as we were worshiping, and uh, I especially requested the next, I think the next song, Good and Gracious King. Thanks, Nathan. I just wrote, talk about Jesus, because I don't know if I did that enough. I don't think we can ever do that enough. And, and my my favorite, pa- one of my favorite passages, I said, they're all my favorites, right? I didn't give this to Dwayne, so I'll just read it, and I'll try to read it well. And uh, Revelation 5, we get a picture of Jesus here. We're not going to get focused on all the weird stuff that uh, is hard to understand in Revelation. But there's a special thing uh, that happens with Christ in heaven at the end and this is the same Jesus that was uh, on his hands and knees, using his hands, his hands, to wash the feet of the disciples, and a towel around his waist, and he was down on the floor like a slave, a Gentile slave. In Revelation five, it says this, and I'll just read through until I get to the part I really wanted to get to. This is the same author, the Apostle John. Then I saw on the right hand of Him who was seated on a throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or on under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began, began to weep loudly, that's John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And this guy, John, is in heaven in this vision. He's in heaven among all the angels and upon all these other things with seven eyes and 13 this and 14 that. They're in heaven. And not one person was worthy and perfect enough to look into the scroll and open it. And then in verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered... So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had taken the scroll. The four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp of golden bowls and incense. And they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scrolls and open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed the people for God and every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So this perfect one, the utterly perfect one was on his hands and knees with his disciples showing them how to live, showing them the humility to have one another and giving us the example of how to disciple one another. Would you pray with me? Jesus, oh, we thank you for what you've done. We know if you're here today, physically, that you would wash our feet and you'd tell us the same thing. And you chose the humility and the posture that you had with those that you love to the end. You love your church that way. And you'll carry us to the end. You're good. You're the definition of good. You're the thing that all good comes f- flowing from. And then you told us to emulate you, to do the same, and to go and make disciples as imperfect people discipling, imperfect people to be more like you. Lord, thank you for all of that. Thank you for this passage. Thank you to help giving us a way to remember what you've done and to call us, just as you did with your disciples, now calling us to be more like you in this way. And I hope uh, it was clear in this way of discipling others and being discipled by others, Lord. Be with us now as we respond with our voices and singing and uh, together as a body before we go out for our week, Lord. And We all praise you and we thank you in your son's name. Amen.